Well, hey, Embassy City Church, it is just so good to be with you today. Oh my word, how much have I missed you guys? Obviously, meant to be with you in your studio, but COVID-related reasons, hashtag 2020. Obviously, can't be with you, but sending all my love and just uh, so appreciate being a part of your amazing online services and really believe in God to do something quite extraordinary. And I want to welcome you as well. I want to bring greetings from Philadelphia and welcome you to our brand new studio that we secured just only a few weeks ago as uh, we begin to unfold, I guess, the journey and the story of C3 Philly here in Philadelphia. We launched church. We launched our church in the middle of COVID 10 weeks ago and have just been enjoying seeing God do everything online. And then because of that, we secured this premises with the team here that have been producing all of our church online services. And this is going to be the epicenter really for team culture and, you know, for everything that we're doing and for establishing worship gatherings and producing all of our church online services. So I want to welcome you to our home. So from our home to your home, we want to say a big hello and a big thank you. We just could not do this journey without Embassy City Church and without your amazing pastors, Pastor Tim and Juliet. You know, we moved here as a family from the UK at the tail end of November and uh, began launching out in January dinner parties with a vision that our tables would become our churches, wanting to gather people around tables all across the city. And then obviously, after two or three months of gathering in, in small communities around the city, obviously, we found ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic, but just really also with a incredible sense of just God's timing and providence in us being here just at this point. And it actually feels like the perfect time to be planting a church. It feels like even though there's so much headwind and so much uh, to kind of push back and push against, it actually just feels so provident and we feel a real spirit of joy and settledness being here at this time and are enjoying seeing all that God is doing in our midst. And so we want to thank you, me, myself, and my wife, Beth, we want to say thank you to Embassy City Church. We want to say the most, the, the biggest thank you to your pastors, Pastor Tim and Juliet, who without them, we just could not uh, continue to do what we're doing. That the emotional, relational, financial support has just meant the, the world to us as we establish this church here in Philadelphia. So if you love your pastor, if you love Pastor Tim, uh, I would love you just to drop some kind of clap or Praise hands in the chat. If you think you have the coolest pastors in the world, why don't you drop that emoji with the sunglasses or maybe maybe that emoji, the fire emoji, and just give your pastors some love because I know from all the way over here in Philadelphia, we love your pastors, we love your church, and are loving, just thrilled to see you flourishing in this season. And I almost want to bring a message just today across all your services just that I really believe will be like a, a community building, establishing uh, message, one that I think that will unite our hearts. You know, I think we found ourselves obviously in a time where we have been isolated. We've had to social distance. We've had to distance ourselves from other human beings, which is in stark contrast really to what the gospel is about. You know, every time Jesus healed someone, he first asked if he could touch them um, because Jesus understands that healing and miracles and all of what it means to be human takes place in proximity. And that's something we've been starved of as a church is the proximity with one another. But I also know this is that the gospel also has this incredible ability to tear down the walls that separate. And right now, even as a church community in Texas, 
there are many walls between you and everyone else that calls this place home, but God has this transcendent um, ability to unite hearts in moments like this, to tear down walls that separate and actually bring us into a place of union. And so that's really what I want to speak into this morning. I want to believe that God will unite your hearts as a church and mine to yours in this season and that God can bring new life and breathe new life into you as the people of God in Irvine, in Texas. And so if you have a Bible on you this morning, this afternoon, whatever you're watching, whether you're catching up on podcasts, I want to encourage you to turn me to my personal favorite scripture in the New Testament. We want to read from the, about the resurrection of Lazarus, where Jesus walks to a tomb, finds a dead man that's been there for four days and pulls him out of the grave and breathes new life into him. And so turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to pick up from verse 38, and this is what it says. It says that then... Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus says to them, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of a dead man, says to them, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he has been dead for four days. In other words, you need to get some Febreze in there or something because it's going to stink. Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and feet were bound in a linen strip. I love just those, those scriptures there. The man who had died came out. Because when you live in relationship with God, even the most impossible of situations you can begin to talk about in past tense. The man who had died came out in his hands and feet, bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. With a cloth. And Jesus turns to them and says to them, unbind him and let him go. I want to share a few thoughts around this idea, uh, this, this sermon title or Maybe more so an encouragement. Um, I want to speak into your spirit this morning, this afternoon, and say this. Don't pass Martha. Don't pass Martha. Now, like I said, we've been here uh, in Philadelphia since uh, kind of the tail end of 2019 and uh, having just uh, uh, a kind of ridiculously brilliant all-over-the-place 2020 uh, you know, since before planting this church, we were part of a great team in the UK and England, pastor of a great church. And so for the last 14, 15 years, Beth and I have been involved in some kind of ministry and leading local churches. And I wake up most mornings, if, if I'm honest, wake up most mornings, and I am absolutely amazed that God would use me. I am surprised that God would actually pick me to help lead and plant a church here in Philadelphia. Why? Because I... I know what I'm like. I'm, I know all of, my, all of my idiosyncrasies. I know all of my insecurities. I know all of my inadequacies. Yeah, I, I know what I'm like. I'm clumsy. I'm forgetful. I can be completely distracted. And so I'm amazed when, you know, because I'm so acquainted with my weaknesses, I wake up most mornings and totally surprised that God would ever pick me. I'm the dude that for six months put dishwasher tablets in the washing machine. Like, I'm that guy. And yet somehow, in 2020, I'm still 
feel empowered by the grace of God to plant a church here in Philadelphia. And you know, the only shred of confidence that often I feel when I think about my own insecurities and inferiorities and inadequacies is I realize that, and even today, I think about the other people that God also uses. I mean, just for a few moments, if you are watching church online with your family or with some friends, just look around the room. Just look at the people that you are associated with right now and just look at the kind of people that God uses. Like what a schmuzzle. Like we, we all have our idiosyncrasies and inadequacies, but God still decides to empower each and every single one of us for the call that he has placed on our lives. And I read John chapter 11, and one of the most profound and important moments in the New Testament through the Gospels as Jesus begins to announce really why he's here. And we see one of the most tre- tremendous miracles take place. Jesus turns up to the tomb of a dead man who's been there for four days and, you know, rolls away the stone and calls this dead man out of a tomb, breathes life into him supernaturally. And this man is quickened, his heart beats into life. And this man who had been dead for four days staggers out of the darkness into this, the darkness of the tomb into the brightness of day. We see one of the most amazing miracles. We've seen him walk on water. We have seen Jesus multiply fishes and loaves to feed 5,000 people. We have seen him heal lepers. We have seen him open blind eyes and give the mute back their language. And yet I find myself in John 11 asking what is, I think, a very important question. And that's this. Like if you, Jesus, can raise a dead man out of the grave... Why do you need to turn to the people at this funeral and ask them to roll away the stone? Like if you're about to cause a dead man to jump into life again, if you're about to do the impossible thing of raising a dead man out of the grave, why do you need any help whatsoever in rolling away the stone? Like just however you work your miracles, Jesus, just do it. Like sprinkle the magic dust, sing Kumbaya, use the force, however however this thing rolls out, just, just do what you do to work miracles. Like you're about to do the hard thing of raising the dead man out of the grave, but why don't you do the easy thing of rolling away the stone? And I realized a while back that there's a profound and important uh, implication in this story, and that's this, that God will always use his followers in his miracles. Like Jesus doesn't see this stone as an obstacle for a miracle. He sees it as an opportunity to involve Mary and Martha. So he asks them to begin to do the hard work of rolling away this boulder that is preventing this man Lazarus from being exposed to the love and light and power of Jesus Christ in front of them. I don't know about you, but I read scriptures like this and I become so uh, thankful for the people in my own world that while I was dead in my sin, in my grave, in my death, I'm thankful for the people that did the hard work of rolling away stones, rolling away the boulders in my life. I'm so thankful for the community around my world that actually refused to just walk away from my own graveyard, but actually stuck it out until they saw God call me out of my tomb. I don't know about you, but there are, in each of our stories of discovering who Christ is, there are people that did the hard work of rolling away the stone. God will always use his followers in his miracles. He will always empower 
Marys and Marthas in our world to do the hard work of pushing away the boulders. This was not an obstacle. This was an opportunity to involve his followers. And what we see unfolding really in this passage of scripture is we see in many ways the two most powerful forces on earth at work in one moment in John chapter 11. You see, as Mary and Martha begin to roll away the stone, Jesus then turns his face and his attention to this tomb and looks at this this tomb that is engulfed in darkness and bellows out, Lazarus, come out. You see, the most powerful force on the planet is God's command. That when God speaks something, things burst into life. He just has to say, let there be light, and suddenly the universe is filled with brightness. And in this moment, he speaks, and with the authority of just a few words, he speaks into this tomb and brings forth life. Lazarus, come out. You see, and in your life today, I don't know what situations you're facing, but right now in your world, as soon as God says something over your situation, life breaks forth. The most powerful force in your life is God's command. And in this moment in John 11, suddenly this man, which is representative of our own world, bursts forth in new life. You see, the gospel is not the story of bad people becoming good. The gospel is the story of dead people being brought back to life. And it's the spoken word of God when the Holy Spirit intercepts our life and begins to engage with our world that suddenly life can be brought forth from death. And I don't know what resurrections you need right now in your world. I don't know what darkness you feel like you've been engulfed in. I don't know what graves you feel like you have been placed in, but God can say the word and suddenly life can be brought forth. From death. And so we see in John 11, essentially the most powerful force on the planet, the same force that shaped and created the universe, that spun stars into the universe, that brought man out of dust, God's spoken word. But then we see in John 11 as well, the second most powerful force on the planet. And that's not God's command, that's God's community. You see, suddenly is this man, Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, staggers out, bound in linen strips, brought forth by the love and the light of Jesus. He staggers out and Jesus turns his attention from this dead man walking and turns his attention now onto those that were gathering around. He turns his attention to Mary and Martha. The scriptures say he turned to them and says, I want you to unbind him and let him go. Isn't that profound? He turns to Mary and Martha and asks them to unbind him and let him go. So there's this moment where Jesus turns his attention and his emotion away from Lazarus, this dead man walking and now, to the community that had gathered, the family around Lazarus, the family, the community, the church, the people of God that had gathered around around Lazarus. You see, the powerful thing of just watching Mary and Martha is Mary and Martha are the two people that like run to Jesus when Lazarus is poorly, when he's sick, when he is dying but not yet dead. And they come imploring Jesus to come and 
work a miracle on Lazarus's behalf, but Lazarus dies. Jesus is late almost to the bedside and Lazarus reaches the end of life and Mary and Martha are devastated and upset. You see, Jesus knew that Mary and Martha wanted to witness a miracle, but he wanted to know whether they were prepared to work for one. You see, and Lazarus staggers forth with resurrection life on the inside of his body, but he still has not yet loosened the grave clothes. And Mary and Martha's responsibility are now to engage in this man and do the hard work of loosing this man and letting him go. See, he had, he had life, but he did not yet have liberty. You see, and Mary and Martha represent what it means to be in partnership with God to restore other human beings into the fullness of life. You see, the, he, Lazarus was out of the grave, but the grave closed. The grave itself was not yet off of him. And it was Mary and Martha that were empowered by Jesus to unbind him and let him go into the fullness of life. And maybe you right now, you feel like you have life. You've staggered out, but you don't yet have liberty. This is where Mary and Martha in our world come and work with the Holy Spirit to unbind us and let us go. You see, Mary and Martha, they represent someone, they represent people so profound. You know, like often revival feels like hard work. It feels like pushing away heavy boulders and removing smelly rags. Like that's Revival maybe is spelt hard work. If we're thinking about seeing a transcendent divine move of the Spirit in Irving, Texas through Embassy City Church, maybe it just looks like pushing away heavy boulders and removing smelly rags. I mean, think that kind of emphasis is the whole way through Scripture. I mean, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, David, David, as he brings down Goliath, this big brute of an enemy that was opposing the Israelites, this moment where, you know, he runs to the front line with his smooth stone and his sling and brings down this giant and obviously results in this Israelite victory over the Philistines. But did you know that, 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 that David was never sent to the front line to fight? David was sent to the front line to serve. It was his job to run from Jesse, his father's house, as the youngest brother of all the siblings with the bread and the cheese each lunchtime to bring to his brothers that were on the front line fighting. You see, David was sent every day with bread and cheese to feed lunch to the bigger boys. David was the original Domino's pizza delivery guy. As every, every day he would kind of run to the front lines to feed his brothers. And David served his way into destiny. And as he, as he went with a servant heart, just being prepared to be used by God in whatever small way it was, he found himself at a point where he was appointed to bring down Goliath. And sometimes building church community, bringing heaven to earth, believing for revival rain to flood our earth feels like pushing heavy boulders removing smelly rags, running with the bread and the cheese to the front line. And so Jesus in John 11 empowers Martha and says, unbind him and let him go. But here's the point of my message. is that Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, staggers out, bound, head and foot 
his grave clothes wrapped him. He had life but no mobility. He had resurrection power but not yet the full resurrection life. And I can imagine in this moment, this man called from the grave, staggering around, has the capacity to pass Martha. Like, think about it. The first face that Lazarus sees is not Jesus. The first face that he sees in this new resurrection life as the grave clothes are unwrapped was Martha. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I think about my own walk with God, if I think about my own miracles, if I think about the way that God has so infinitely worked in my own life, the face that I often see, it's not like Jesus comes and does the river dance at the end of my bed, or I have angelic visions and suddenly I see this transcendent being before me. The face that I see is just the normal people in my world. And you can imagine Lazarus as the grave clothes come off and he staggered from the grave. You can imagine as, as the sunlight begins to break through as he opens his eyes and he sees not Jesus as he begins to see Martha. You can imagine like this explosion of like uncertainty and maybe even anger. Like, like Martha? Like really? Like Martha? Like Martha is, she's the fussy one. Martha's the preoccupied one. Martha, through most of the New Testament, is portrayed as the annoying one. She's the one that when Mary is at the feet of Jesus' feet doing the one right thing, Martha's the one in the kitchen complaining that no one's helping her clean up the dishes. You see, Martha was the fussy, like preoccupied one, and yet it was Martha, the people that we so easily overlook, that was unbinding him and let him go. And at this point, Lazarus has a decision. He can either stagger forth with his hands and his feet bound, refusing to display any spirit of humility that would allow this woman, Martha, to unbind him. He could stagger forth and pass her, or he with humility and grace and acceptance realized that actually his miracle was locked up in this Woman, you see, if you want to see the person of Jesus, you will find him with the people of Jesus. If you are wanting to receive a miracle from God so often in our lives, we have to wait for the Marthas to unbind us and let her go. And so often through our own despondency with the local church and our own uh, history with the community of believers, so often we've been hurt or we've been cut or we feel like we have been judged by the people of God. And so often what happens is we're staggered out of our grave, but we haven't yet entered the fullness of life because we don't yet want to slow down and let Martha unbind us. But I come with a word of encouragement. I come with a plea. Don't pass Martha. Don't, don't overlook Martha. Don't become despondent with the local church. Don't harbor resentment. Don't refuse. Don't move on. Don't stagger forth with life but no liberty. Don't pass Martha because your miracle is wrapped up in that woman. Don't pass Martha. If you want to see the person of Jesus, you will find him in the people of Jesus. And this is where the sermon, this thought 
is so crucial in these last few moments because so often in our own life, it's easy to pass Martha. Like we can, maybe historically, you've just drifted into church on Sundays, heard a great message by Pastor Tim, but you don't slow down long enough for the Marys and Marthas. We come, we worship, we lift our hands and Church becomes an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minute tops, but we don't lock, lock in or engage in community. And maybe even at this time as we have been robbed of our corporate gatherings and corporate worship when we stand in solidarity with one another, maybe we've realized just the community, the family of believers, the table where all are welcome, that it's community, it's the Mary and Martha's in our world that actually help us become all that we are called to be. You see, Jesus was deeply moved. And when Jesus is deeply moved, as it said in the scriptures in John 11, he will, mo- he will most profoundly move his people. And the first face, like I said, that Lazarus sees is not Jesus, it's Martha. You see, and I remember when we were back in the UK, part of the team on at Hope City Church, uh, right across the UK. And I remember we were beginning to plant our church into a city called Leeds in North England. And I remember one evening as we were planting this congregation into Leeds, um, I remember one of the old elderly gentlemen in the congregation came up to our senior pastor at the end of the service and said, hey, listen, I want to ask you a question. When is revival coming to Leeds? And I remember our senior pastor with all uh, kind of uh, with audacity almost, with a sense of belief, said, when, when's revival coming to Leeds? He says, you're looking at it. Like I'm in revival. Revival is a mobilized church. It's just Mary's and Martha's ready to minister to the world. And I have to tell you right now, if you were to ask me, when is revival coming to Irving in Texas? When is a great move of God coming to our city? I would have to say, even though I can't see you eye to eye right now, as I look down the center of this camera, I'm telling you, I'm looking right at it because revival looks like Embassy City Church, a people that are empowered like Mary and Martha to unbind the city and loose it into all that it's called to be. What is the first face that Irving will see? It's you. It's, uh, it's, it's Embassy City Church empowered for the task at hand. And here is the profound part because it was Martha that actually put the grave clothes on. You see, a few days before, um, before he was kind of buried, before this moment would have taken place, it would have been Mary and Martha that would have gathered around this body, Lazarus. They would have poured ointment over his dead body and they would have wrapped him in linen strips. They would have pushed him into the tomb and it would have been Mary and Martha that would have rolled the stone in front of the mouth of the grave. And then four days later, it's Jesus empowering those same people that put Lazarus in the tomb to pull him back out. And that's a picture of the church. Very often, it's the, it's the people that feel like they've put us in the tomb, in the grave, they've accused, they've judged, they've made wrong assessments, we feel hurt, betrayed feel that they have wrapped us in linen strips and pushed us into the tomb. They have rolled the stone in front. And yet beautifully, it's those same people that God can use with a spirit of grace and kindness in his house. They're the people that heal us, that pull us out. 
and unbind us and let us go. And so as we close, let me just land with these two thoughts. These scriptures tell us that number one, as individuals, we are not expected to have it all together. We are wandering around in our grave clothes. We have life, but we don't yet have the fullness of life and liberty that God has called us for. We've been called out of the tomb. We've been called out of the grave, but the grave is still on us. We do not have it all together. But secondly, together as a house, as a community, we can have it all. And so my question for you in this service is this, is are you humble enough to be Lazarus, to reveal the grave clothes, to slow down long enough in weakness and allow the Marthas in our life to unbind us and let us go? Are you humble enough to be Lazarus? But are you also loving and committed enough to be Martha, to not judge, to not oppose, to not condemn people for the clothes that they wore in a previous season in the grave, but are we loving and kind and committed enough to unbind people and let them go? Are we humble enough to be Lazarus and are we loving enough to be Martha? And if we can make the commitment as a community to both be Lazarus and Martha at the same time, I'm telling you, you're a miracle in motion. You're a church that is unstoppable, that will bring a great move of God's spirit to Irvine, Texas. And I'm so thrilled for everything that you have done and excited to see all that you will do. And right now, I want to pray for people that feel hurt, cut, betrayed, broken by the local church. I want to pray that there would be a great sense of healing, but also right now in this place, a great sense of empowerment to be Martha and to unbind people, unbind people and let them go. So Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus for every person listening under the sound of my voice that feels like they have been pushed into a tome and written off into a previous season, have been cut, betrayed and hurt by the local church. I pray now for an incredible sense of healing of soul, of mind, of heart, of body in Jesus' name. And I pray that we would begin to stagger out and display the humility of Lazarus, that we wouldn't pass Martha by, we wouldn't push her to one side. We wouldn't write off the local church, but we would be willing to slow down and lock into community once more. Even in the middle of COVID-19, where it feels like we've been separated, I pray that you would bring Embassy City Church into a place of union, incredible reunion in Jesus' name. And I pray that we also would be a church, Embassy City Church, as individuals would feel empowered in this time to be Martha, that we would be the hope and the healing of Irving, Texas. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.